mystery chef here. Hello, I'm spooky goth wife. Don't put your hand over your mouth. It is the got season. To it's properly. I am spooky goth wife. There we go. You got to enunciate. <laughs> See, Matt like Matt Berry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first off, shout out to Katie, Woo! latest Patreon. Beep, She's beep, insane, beep, like Gary and Tom. Yes. Um, so that's fun. Uh, I did ask on my Patreon page for topics. Um, Gary very kindly actually replied and said, can we do something about the Normans? And I realised, oh, and the late Saxons and stuff. And I realised I can do a hardcore Patreon-only one on the late Saxons. That's not an issue. But the Normans, I'm afraid, will have to be a more public, light-hearted one until I can get some more hardcore reading done on the actual Normans themselves. Mm. Because what I know of the Normans is a bit slapdash. Uh, and that's to say the least. I know post-conquest, to some degree. Yeah. In terms of once they're installed themselves in Blighty, but I don't know pre-conquest. I don't actually know Normandy itself as a history. I think you don't like them. Well, no, I do like <laughs> them, but I also... I just don't like them at Hastings. <laughs> Nobody likes them at Hastings. The, the problem is, it, it, the Normans as a historical group are fine, but they're only interesting once they conquer England. Yeah. Because I'm not really bothered about Europe as a rule. Yeah. Until England gets tied into Europe because of the Normans. So maybe, so, maybe in terms of reenactment then, or history, which is reenactment. Well, like what you said if, that. Like if I wanted to make Norman kit, what are the differences? To be honest, the key things is brazen hose, split yo. tunics. Brazen hose, yo. <laughs> Shaking his head at me. <laughs> but basically, it's split tunics, brazen hose. Long, well-fitted sleeve, and that's really about it. Oh, and the tunics are long, and I do mean yeah. long. Like, they're past your knee length. Mm. They're not, like... The Anglo-Saxons start to, like, the higher levels of aristocracy wear split, but the Normans very much from the get-go. Because they're a cavalry-based, feudal-ish nation. Yeah. Because pre-conquest i won't even say they're completely feudal from what i do know of the normans from like 9 11 to 10 50 yeah to give you a key thing is they're very closely tied to the church anyway there's a lot of abbeys in normandy yeah um so they were just as christian as the anglo-saxons then well you could say they're even more so oh yeah because the pope was like, like yeah you've, got, well, you've also got to remember how big normandy actually is so why why and they have Why? like there's almost 20 abbeys in normandy alone why is normandy a separate thing from france because it's a settlement of the vikings right in the early 10th at the start of the 10th century the vikings have been raiding up the seine yeah and raiding into france yeah and upsetting the um carolingian franks who are the french basically mm-hmm. around the ile de france yeah. down the seine and that region yeah, and normandy yeah, yeah. is one of the territories yeah because what you've got to think is france isn't a single nation it's like england then kind of yes and no yeah what france is is you have a region which is the ile de france right. which is the territory controlled by the king and that's pretty much paris and a small surrounding area. When you look on an actual historical map of France, yeah. and you look at what the king technically owned, and what his dukes owned, yeah. you suddenly realise why France often has a lot of issues with its own aristocracy I and think, controlling itself. I think for some reason, even though obviously I've been doing a fair amount, you know, I've been involved in history forever, yeah. and for some reason it hadn't gone in anywhere, or it just hadn't gone into my brain that Normandy was a completely separate thing until you started talking about it the other day. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, hang on. Cause, and then I was thinking, because in my head, I think I thought William was like the king of France or no. something. And he's not. No. William is a direct line descendant of Rolf the Ganger. Yeah. So it's Rollo, as he's commonly referred yeah, yeah, to. Yeah. We will ignore the History Channel's Vikings. Yes, we always will. With their Rollo and whatever oh, they're God. doing there. So don't ask about that, because it won't get talked about. It'll be burned. Yeah, if you ask about that, Kieran, I'll just backhand you about face. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I'm not a violent man, but backhands to the face will happen if you ask about the Vikings any more people, because this is really getting upsetting. Rollo's given Normandy as a set- peace settlement, mm. but he owes fealty to the King of France. Yeah. 
basically. But he also, he doesn't. They're kind of, Normandy's given its independence, and technically speaking, within each of the dukedoms, because Normandy is just one duchy. Nice. There's also the Duchy of Brittany, the County of Flanders, and no, that's not Hadidly Odi. <laughs> Maybe. That's the Flemish in the true traditional yes. yeah, sense, yeah, 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 with yeah. the capital being Ghent. Yes, yeah. So we need to go. We do need to go to the, the local, which of course is now all Belgium. So, yeah. it, but that was yeah, the Flemish yeah. territories. They were the Low Countries. They were the County of Flanders, originally famous for their foot infantry. It's the Normans, to some degree, who bring the idea of the modern heavy cavalry. It slowly spreads, but it's the Normans being mercenaries and biblically, because this is the thing: the Normans are Vikings originally. Yeah. Hence, where the word Norman comes from. Yeah. Stems from the Latin Normanimus, meaning men of the north. No. literally it means north man north man norman hey yeah. ho there we go That's so really the society should love doing norman we should if we are the viking society <laughs> we should technically all have kite shields and go for now benedict yeah and it doesn't matter which benedict you pick mm. whether it's old authenticity head benedict or young benedict who are both in Uzkar, by the way just to make matters confusing both of them are big lovers of Norman history. Do you know if Benedict Cumberbatch is also a... <laughs> if Benedict Cumberbatch was in Uzkar, I think we would no, know No, 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 not it. that he's in Uzkar, <laughs> but like, if he, maybe, do we know if he likes the Normans, Normans as is well? It, is it like a Benedict thing? <laughs> Benedictine monks here, let's... Who knows? Who knows? But no, um, but the Normans are basically given... All the duchies are independent to the King of France. Right. But they all owe him a fealty to retain their lands. Okay. Because technically all the territories, like in England with the earls... Yeah. Like a mercy of thing, It's all technically royal land that's doled out to them and then becomes hereditary. Right. So you've got to think William is however many generations down the line from Rollo. Um, and they have the Duchy of Normandy. Well, you've also, as I say, you've got the Duchy of Brittany. Uh, you also have the Duchy of Anjou. Yes. And Aquitaine. Yes. And Gascony. Yes. And what happens is, is Normandy is Normandy, and Duke William has some connection to Edward the Confessor, and he decides he wants the throne. Yeah. And we discussed this in the Hastings Yeah, 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 yeah. But the Normans themselves are always thought of bringing in feudalism to Britain. Because isn't it that they have that weird haircut because of the chain mail That's tonsuring coits at the back. Yeah, it's something. to stop ripping your hair out. So you have short hair at the back. Oh, it looks so weird. But you it's don't not... technically do stupidly long fringes because that's just stupid. <laughs> it's not like nineties boy band in the front. No, but it's like it's more just it's like how I tend to keep it short at the back. Yeah, but and, they do it like stupidly. Yeah, but they don't have to go that short at times. That's more just because they think it's the religious fanaticism side of like tonsured hair. You know, like so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As in, like they tonsure it instead of like just having short hair. It's like a reverse mullet. Yeah. Long at the front, <laughs> short at the back. Like, rather than short at the front and long at the back. Like, yeah. Um, but the Normans themselves don't really have feudalism themselves until the post-conquest period as a hard and fast form of feudalism. Yeah. What they have is proto-feudalism. And if you look to the Norman way of people owing fealty and service and everything else, yeah, a lot of it is, oh, they have this land that is technically owned by that abbey and they need to owe military service to the abbot for 40 days. Um, up to, I think it's something like, for up to three times in one year. So, But you can't do more than 40 days in a single block of service. Yeah. And there has to be a gap. It's all very weird. And that's what I mean. I'm not big on the pre-conquest Norman way of working. Because it's not in, it doesn't work like that in England. In some respects. So when they come over, you they, said that they loved the whole like tax system that we had. Yeah, because it was efficient and it actually worked. Because <laughs> what we had done... Norman taxation systems mm -hmm. were pretty much give us your money or else. Yeah. And it was hard. William almost beggared himself to invade England. Mm. Because two-thirds of his army were mercenaries. Yeah. Alone. Oh, dear. Because he... No... Purely because of the way feudalism works, it doesn't produce an efficient, large-scale military force. What it produces is an elite fighting force. But the problem is, that's fine when you're only dealing with your neighbours. But when you've got your elite lords of battle, so to speak, <laughs> and there's a hundred donkey wallopers... They've all got all... Malt nuts all over everything. Please don't. <laughs> But when you've got a hundred cavalry generated from feudalism, but 
your next door neighbour's duchy for the same volume of 100 cavalry produces 4,000 foot infantry in armour with equipment and your horsemen go, but we can ride over them. Not if they form a big old pike block, you can't. Uh, you, you see where it falls down a bit. Yes. Um, and the thing is, the post-conquest England is an amalgamation Anglo-Saxon military obligation superseded by Norman military obligations and mashed together. And this is why you get a very weird military system in Britain uh, that has its origins in both Norman military obligations and rights and Anglo-Saxon military obligations and rights because it is what it is. And the thing is, as I was saying, the Normans themselves don't actually have what you would call traditional classic feudalism until really the time of William himself. The whole span before that is more a case of people being bound, like the Saxons to some degree, being bound by oaths for their military obligation. Yeah. And sometimes it can be family owing family and... Um, which is where the later term familius regis comes from, the, the the household knights. And that is very much a case of, like, the Normans' way of war. So it's, oh, well, I'm going to war, and such and such owes me a favour, so he's coming to war. Right. And that's kind of how it starts. And But that eventually evolves into the feudalistic system of he owes me fealty, which is where feudalism comes from, of course. It's all about fealty and fiefdoms. Mm. So I own 2,000 acres, but I am going to dole out 100 acres to these 20 knights. Yeah. At which point, it's like, well, those 2,000 acres now being controlled by those 20 knights, but they are fiefs that owe me fealty for the land they control. So this is why you can compare feudalism to some degree as the Anglo-Saxon way, but the difference being is that there are lots of free men in England who just don't owe the military obligation, even though they are technically given land and it's theirs and it becomes hereditary rights and it's passed on down the line and so forth. And this is why you get a lot of issues at times, particularly throughout the Normans' early period when they're first settling, of abbeys owning land and then the duke doling out the land as rewards for stuff because the abbeys and it all it's politics basically so he was giving out land that the that church is owned by the abbeys and then the abbeys but the abbeys have agreed to do it but the knights who then get the land owe fealty to both the church the monastery that oh, the land hell, that sounds like a bit of a scam it's patrimony it's, it's french patrimony that's the whole point they, the Normans adopt the French patrimony system where its hereditary land is split between the sons and everything. It's the stupid laws where the father can own 200 acres and if he has four sons, the 200 acres has to be doled down. But if he has no sons, the land goes back to the original owners, which is normally the local abbey. So if you've got a daughter, uh... she can't inherit the land. Uh... This is why marriage is so important. Yeah. Because you're trying to accumulate... It's accumulate sons. And accumulate land. Yeah. So you can pass it on so the land doesn't go back to the hereditary owner, as in the previous actual <laughs> owners, who are normally the abbeys, who then get all the wealth. I don't know if it's like the state of my brain at the moment, but I'm just imagining like a board game, and I'm copywriting this just in case There's it is a thing. There's a board game already called Patrimony. No, 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 but like a board game, and it's like you've got to accumulate sons, and then you've got to like accumulate land, otherwise, the, and the church is like trying to take all of your land off. Yeah, you. the game already existed. Ah. It's legitimately called Patrimony. Well, there it's, we go. It's an old game, but it does exist. There we go. Great minds think alike, me and person from the past, they invented Indeed. that game. Um, but yeah, so Normandy, it's a big old nightmare when it comes to land and politics. Yeah. And then from the military side of it, their influences stem from predominantly the Byzantines and their neighbours. So, so did the Normans have all the fancy silk stuff, like the roofs and all that kind of no, stuff? No, they didn't. They were really... The Normans are an anomaly to some degree because they are quite austere. Mm. But they showed their grandeur through building rather than clothing. Oh my god, like Tories. Like they're going to build like a giant brutalist concrete library or something. I don't know. My brain's... <laughs> the country deer is covered in Norman I architecture know. showing their worth. <laughs> it's called all the massive cathedrals yes. and all the castles. Yes. The Normans themselves would wear quite simplistic clothing it would be high quality don't yeah. get me wrong and there would be silk involved but there is a norman writer 
And I want to say somewhere... Bayer. Bayer. Um, but he is a monk writing in Bayer, and I can't remember his name. Yeah. He is quite one of the famous Norman chroniclers. And he talks about the fact that the Anglo-Saxons are peacocks living in rude housing. and the Nor And the Normans are austere, Spartan-like, living yeah. in grandeur. And it's right. the whole point. So the Normans would dress quite simplistically in a very... Uh, from a Norman perspective, yeah. the Anglo-Saxons were gaudy as hell. <laughs> William exported silk back to Europe to refinance himself from all the dead Saxons and also stripping it from women oh. in terms of the fillets because it was solid gold bullion woven Don't you in. take my fillet, you get. He did. He used it as taxation system. Get my skillet he took, out. He took... Fillets and the silk trim. Yeah. Because silk is so valuable. Yeah, 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 he yeah. literally stripped half the nobility who had died at Hastings of their silk and got it cleaned up and ships it back to Europe, predominantly oh. into the church, and the church refinanced him in effect through silk. <laughs> he got a payday loan through <laughs> He first of all got a payday loan off the Wonga <laughs> to invade England, right? <laughs> With a papal banner to make him legit, yeah. he then gets to England, realises the tax system works, yeah. so he can re-bail out his own duchy, yeah. okay, and then to repay his loan to the church, he ships all the gold bullion thread and fillets and all this beautiful embroidery and silk mm. to the papacy, which is why the Vatican is chocked full of English, early medieval English embroidery still. Oh, because no. William just went, the papacy did the British Museum I was trick. literally just about to say Wait, that. Yoink! I was literally just about so to say that. So there is still a lot of, and it is dated, the Italians have done their jobs right, but there is 10th and 11th century Anglo-Saxon embroideries still to be found in the Vatican on ceremonial garbs still in use okay so they're still wearing occasionally 11th century piece of embroidery i can't go to the vatican and there though. are other bits where it's behind oh no it's all there for you to see well no, but i'd be running off with it yeah but you'd also go to the british museum and be running off with the marbles of the acropolis yeah and then i'd take them back well precisely so <laughs> I, I can see why but um yeah there's also a lot of 12th century english work there as well um, like there is tenth, eleventh, and twelfth century English embroidery work. I just had because the image. Because just shipped it to the Vatican to basically pay back the Pope. I just had this image of like one of the Wonga puppets, but like dressed as the Pope. <laughs> it's like bad money puppy, you can have paid a loan. Worryingly <laughs> enough, the Pope was a puppet. <laughs> Post conquest period, particularly around the late thirteenth, fourteenth century, there were two popes at a time. Yeah. Yeah, I know that, but I don't know how that happened. One like... was in Rome, one was in... Uh, Is it Eastern Europe somewhere? No, one's in France, basically, down at Avignon. <laughs> That's so cheeky. There's always... There's, there's a big thing where there's technically two popes at one point, and there's one at Avignon and one in Rome. And the one in Rome's actually fake, so to speak. So how so how is the one in France legit? Because he in... was the legitimately voted in one half the time. Oh, and then... The other one was more just like people going, I don't want a French Pope. <laughs> Say anything. It's like, it's the, it's the glory of, we've got two Popes, one in Avignon. You and buy one, one, you get, get one free. free. <laughs> yeah. And they both have hats. Ooh, yeah. who had the fancier hat though? That's the. I that don't know. Pope Wars. Pope Wars. Well, we have Papal Wars. Oh, God. We do have we Papal do. Wars, dear. Um, uh, that's the Borgias. They caused the papal wars. Is it true that William exploded? On death, yeah. yes, he did. He couldn't fit in his coffin because he was too big uh, from gastric juices from oh, decomposition. What? And when they tried to force him in, he popped. <laughs> that is true. I bet the ghost of... Um... For fuck's sake! No, I was thinking more Harold was just like... Ah. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Yeah. Just flipping the bird at the yeah. ah. <laughs> That's yeah. what you get. That's what you get for lobbing my head off at uh, Hastings. Yes. Wouldn't surprise me. But no, William himself was direct descendant. He's always called the bastard. Whether he was illegitimate or not, I don't know. Uh, I actually, I don't know on that one. I know his brother. I think, he, I think he's just called that because British people just like saying it. 
I think I he, just his parents, him... I think, could have been in a long and loving marriage and everybody would be like, William the Bastard. Well, he, no, I think it's more he was actually illegitimate. I think it, that is, to some degree, I believe he is meant to have been illegitimate because his half-brother is Bishop Odo. Yes. Not a shape-changer. What? Odo. Oh, from DS9. <laughs> yeah, there's a track. I don't reference. know why my head went to D&D then for some reason. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but Bishop Odo wasn't technically his full brother. He was his half-brother. Mm. Um, because Odo's like his younger sibling. I only know about him because of the stupid audio track you have to listen to at Hastings when you're lying on the floor and it's just like... Oh, where is my love? <laughs> Shut up, Edith, and get Connor is just like, Shut the fuck up, Edith Swan Neck. <laughs> it's either me, it's normally me and Connor just wailing from in the mud going, Tell her to shut up, he's there. <laughs> it's cold and wet, let me stand up. <laughs> Get on with it. Get on with it. Yeah, no, it's very much in Montepath and sketch at times. Yes. But the Normans themselves, from a military perspective, did not introduce the kite shield to Britain. That was well in use before then. Oh. Well, who was using it? Everyone was. Everyone. Everyone was using a kite shield. So the Anglo-Saxons were. Yeah. So we should all have kite shields. Mm, later. 75% of the wall should have kites. <sighs> This is, this is what I mean, it's like... The problem I, is, our society doesn't go, I need to make kit for three distinct periods. No. I need a set of 9th century kit, 10th century kit and 11th century kit. If people approach reenactment from going, I need a set for this period, this period and this period, yeah. they would realise it would be cheaper and easier. Okay? Yeah. It actually would be cheaper and easier. Why? Why? Because your 9th century kit and your 10th century kit can be almost identical. Yeah. Okay. So when we start, I always tell people, you want to start with a nice generic 9th, 10th century set of kit. Yes. Okay. That could do you to Sorry, do... Sorry, the dog was about to eat your chocolate fingers. Well, then. the dog will end up as a furry hat if he is not careful. <laughs> I love Mr. Puffer Dog dearly, but they are my chocolate fingers. And they're white chocolate, which is rare to Every get time you of. say chocolate fingers, he licks his lips. I bet he does. <laughs> but yeah, from the kit making perspective, if you're going to get your group together and get them organised, kit should be made in two styles. Yeah. You should try to create a first set of kit for people as a generic set of 9th, 10th century clothing. Okay? Yeah. For a second set of kit... We should focus on creating proper 11th century kit for people, particularly Norman Anglo-Saxon, because it would be easier to do that and cheaper in the long run. Yes. Because you'd only still need two sets of clothing, but your 9th, 10th century stuff would be so generic that you could wear it for most of our shows. And this is what a lot of people do. I suppose but it's like the drink get... kit check, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's the whole point. Kind that's of why it's you... encouraging. Yeah, but people still don't do it right to some degree and no. just half arse it. And people rock up to Hastings going, oh, I'll just wear my normal thing. And it's like, no, you need proper 11th century kit. And it's like split tunics for anyone in armour as a rule because you're going to be wearing armour, generally speaking, if you are an elite warrior, a Huskarl or something, you're going to have a split tunic. So at which point you might as well focus on actually having a decent set of generic 9th, 10th century kit and then a decent set of 11th century kit that could actually do you for either Norman or Saxon. Yeah. Because the Normans, almost everyone's going to have a split tunic. So the Whereas on the Saxons, it's a much more high rank because you'd only have the split tunic if you're on a horse predominantly speaking yes so if you're a poor norman wouldn't you just you'd still generally there aren't poor normans <laughs> they're all tories no well yes <laughs> they're all rich yeah but you've got to think you're not going to be there if you're not loaded no because you're either a feudal knight or well you're either going to be one of two things which is where the norman military now comes in you're going to either be a banneret or a bachelor okay now, a bachelor knight is a household knight. That is someone maintained at the expense of a senior noble. Yeah. Okay. They're called bachelors because they're unmarried and they don't own land themselves. So they are the bachelor knights. Banneret knights are knights who owe military service, but they are married and have their own land. Okay. 
they're pretty much what replaced the Thanic classes in this country. Yeah. When they invade. And they also are what replaced, to some degree, the Huskarls. But the Huskarls are an 11th century anomaly that disappear after the 11th century. And their last survivors are pretty much the Varangian Guard. So, you get Bachelor Knights, Bannerets. I'm using slightly later 12th century terms, to some yeah. degree, from more like the reign of Henry I. But it's the only way to actually get a look at Norman military. You really have to look at the 12th century and kind of reverse engineer it. Yeah. This is what you don't realise. Most of the Norman side at the Hastings reenactment are actually 12th and 13th century reenactment groups. Yeah. Basically just toned down their kit a bit to be Normans. Yeah. They basically tend to take off the visored faceplates and just put on conical helms. But they keep most of the other equipment. So after your knights, you get squires, clean knights in training. They're normally youngish boys from the age of seven, shipped out from their families, sent to other people to train yeah. to become knights. Mm -hmm. And they have very hard upbringing. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're made to, like, climb ladders, for example, with buckets of waters on their shoulder on a yoke. And, like... They're not allowed to hold the yoke. They have to balance the yoke and climb a ladder well, and all Well, yeah, but sorts. it's like you haven't got a CrossFit machine, have no, you? So, so you've got they, like... they go through a lot of rigorous training that I think if you put most reenactors through, you'd kill them. Oh, God, that's a reality TV show waiting to happen. You put them through actual medieval training schools. Yeah. My God. I would love to also put people through a Roman military training school. <laughs> it's just because you like hitting people with vine canes. Yes. <laughs> But also... I'm shouting. Yes. I'm, I'm happiest in a drill square. It's yes. absolutely true. However, that's the one reason I do like being a Norman at Hastings Snow. Mm. When I'm being... Oh, she gets to shout Latin at people. I do. And I get to, like, be at the end of a line yeah. with a big, massive, curved, square-ish... Square-ish. It's kite-shaped. But it's square enough. I, I can go and be a Roman for the day. <laughs> covert Roman. I go and be a covert Roman. Norman way of war with cavalry isn't just directly influenced by the Carolingian cavalry of the Charlemagne Franks, as it were, and their successors. Right. It also takes inspiration from their mercenary work in Sicily, because the Normans actually go... You have Italian Nor Italian Normans and stuff in Southern... In Southern? Southern? In, <laughs> in Southern. In, in Southern Italy... <laughs> You get Normans around Sicily and Syracuse and Palermo and other parts. No, sorry, I'll try that again, folks, without my northernness kicking in. In southern Italy and in Sicily, the Normans act as mercenaries and they fight against both the Islamic threats mm. of the Fatimid Egyptians, right. and the Caliphs to some degree, and the Byzantines. They right. basically take on everyone. <laughs> but they're mercenaries. And that's the family Tancreville originally. Oh, or yeah, Tancred. yeah, yeah, yeah. So either Tancreville or Tancred, there's a couple of Tancre-sounding Norman families who are all really big into war. Mm. Um, because they're tanks. They're tanks. That's, all, that's yeah. the joke I normally make about them. You can be a tank. What kind? Tancreville, Tancred. Take your pick. There's lots of them. But they pick up the idea of the couch lance while fighting the Byzantines. Right. It stems from the uh, contos of the Cataphracti Calibinari heavy cavalry of the Byzantine Empire. So like jousting is another thing that we think of being really European and actually it's totally not. No, jousting is very much European. The contos, yeah. which when I was explaining this in an authentic meeting had Cat Martin giggling away. Stelios, Stelios, Contos. Well, no, she thought, she went, um, I beg your pardon, because I went contos, and she was like, um, sorry, what? Oh. And I'm like, it's a 16 to 22 foot spear used in two hands. Right. Because cataphracti aren't going at the gallop. Yes. They go at the brisk trot. Because as we all know, dear, where does Calibinarian cataphracti come from? What does it mean? It's your language. Yeah, it's in the lava. It's a bread oven. Oh. Calibinari, dear, yeah. in ancient Greek. Greek. Oh, okay. Ancient Greek, cataphracti is the bastardization of Calibinari. Oh. And it means bread oven. Because oh. you're strapped head to toe in metal armour and you cook on the inside like Ugh. a bread oven. That's the joke. 
sorry for not getting your ancient Greek jokes. Indeed, yes. I'll expect um, the divorce papers. <laughs> but um, the, the Contos itself, dear, and the way that the cavalry of the East use it yeah. is like a pipe block. Yeah. So it's, it's a mass. So it's lots of heavily armoured horsemen mm. going at a trot with walls of spears sticking out in front of them used right. in a two-handed thrusting technique, well. not couched under the arm. Yeah. So they literally ride on horseback and they're half on, so they've got it two-handed, mm. and at the impact they thrust with both hands because the saddles they use are pretty much identical to the original Roman-style saddles with the four points anchoring your thighs in right. instead. They haven't got a cantle... And a front yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not a donkey walloper. I don't know saddle terms. I'll ask Tom at the some point. The front bit and the back the bit. The front bit and the back bit, which keeps you in. Yeah. Which it's is, like a pompole. It works a cantle and something. something else. But no, the cataphracty <laughs> of the Byzantine world, to some degree, is still using the old-style Roman saddle, mm. where it holds you in at the thigh, because it's a four-pointed style one. But they have added stirrups to it. Right. And so it's you can stirrups stand, you can, like, stand that you can up. stand up and still be supported. And you can thrust two-handed with a 16 to 22 foot See, pointy stick. I remember the, reading an internet meme and it was talking about this guy that like that his teacher thought he was some sort of prodigy. Because he had to do an essay about something like inventions that changed the world. And he did a thing about stirrups hmm. and how like it completely changed like warfare it and did. everything else. And the teacher thought he was like a prodigy and he got it from Star Trek. Well done, Apparently that child. Well done, like that a child. speech in Star Trek where they talk about stirrups. Well, the stirrup is one of the revolutions of military horsemanship. Because before the advent of the stirrup, trying to thrust in any way, shape or form <laughs> off horseback yeah. normally ended up, like in terms of an underarm thrust deer, like couched, yes. meant you ended up arse off your horse normally. <laughs> You're really not helping with me laughing. No, I know. I should just throw in flange <laughs> to really make the matters worse. But the advent of the stirrup meant you could control a horse better and added in with the st- changing saddle styles meant you could couch the spear under your arm mm. and thrust with it actually at a full gallop. Right. Because one of the big developments is when we discuss... Um, like the horsemen of Brittany and of the Carolingian French and of Anjou and Aquitaine and also of Normandy, their closest relative isn't the medieval knight to start with. It is actually closer to late antiquity Roman cavalry, like the late Roman Empire and migration cavalry period, where what they are is more a shock cavalry. So it's they've got a sword, maybe an axe as well, They've got a series of throwing spears. Yeah. And the horse isn't armoured as such. The rider will be armoured, but their trick is more to ride at speed and hit the enemy with withering volleys of throwing spears. And if they make a hole with that first pass, they will then go into it and lay around with their swords. Okay. But it might be that they turn away, try it again. That's developed further and further till you get the Carolingian French style and whatever else. And the Normans, to some degree, start life in that style of cavalry. And then they go to Sicily and that artistic style of, like, thrusting spears as, like, a lance-style technique of the Byzantine cataphracty, Calibinari heavy cavalry is taken up by the Normans in the 10th century, early 11th century, and is brought back to Normandy and starts being trained. Yeah. So you're starting to see the development of the classic traditional knight on horseback with lance, even at our period. It's not completely uniform yet and it's not completely done, but it is starting to be introduced. And this is the whole thing with the Normans. Their whole system is set up just to support the donkey wallopers, which makes it really difficult to have foot infantry. So what you find is they start using mercenaries more and more and more. And like you've got to think, by the time of John and Richard the First and Henry the Second and stuff, mm. mercenary captains with mercenary companies are literally like leading generals to, at times. They're battle captains leading royal armies and leading actual noble armies because they're professional paid soldiers. Um, commonly referred to as stripadari, as in like a stipend. 
Right. So a stipendari, so basically a paid soldier, so a mercenary. Yeah. Rather than your, like, uh, familis regis, which is like your household knights yeah. maintained by your own land. Yeah. So, like, Norman warfare, it's not got one true clear ancestry where it's developed. It's a mongrel of different fighting styles that are mashed together to create what we then know as the medieval knight. Yeah. Um, it's like the term the Conroy, the C-O-N-R-O-I, the Conroy. Yeah. Historically, they're units of five to ten men. That's it. Mm. And then they are amalgamated into large blocks under a magister militari, which is basically your battle captain. Yeah. And that can be anywhere between 30 to 100 knights. Right. In a single block as a military unit. But those huge blocks are kind of subdivided into groups of 10 that have trained together. So, you know, a bit like in our shield walls. Where you've got the different groups. Yeah. And um, when we separate out into our different groups, we all fight slightly differently with our own commanders. And everything. Yeah. You think of Danelaw fighting next to Wicker, fighting next to Raffensdale. Yeah. We all have our own slightly unique way of fighting. Mm. But when we're as a single line, we tend to fight as a line and we go forwards. Yeah. When we get fragmented out, though, and it might be Danelaw fighting as Danelaw and Wicker fighting as Wicker and Raffensdale fighting as Raffensdale... We're all going to know our own idiosyncratic abilities. Yeah. And what people are going to do. And this is the whole point of the Conroy, is it's a small enough unit. It's a family unit, basically. It's like mm. a self-contained fighting unit within the larger unit. So you know what you're f who who is in your Conroy yeah. and what your fighting techniques are and what your strengths and weaknesses are. And within the massive unit, it doesn't matter so much. But when you maybe break down into units of 10 to do other duties, you know who to put where and to do what with. Yeah. So there is a flexibility to the Normans, which again has that Roman aspect to it. The Normans are basically just late-stage Romans <laughs> um, to some degree. Huge... Retro-Romans. They are retro-Romans. Well, it's because of um, de militari, but I'll use the English rather than the Latin, but on military matters. Yeah. You know my little red book? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I tend yeah. to throw at people. And yes. hit people with. Yes. Metaphorically, not literally. Well. Well. But on military matters kind of is the go-to medieval reading text on how to run an army yeah. for the West. And the problem is, when you look at it, you realise that the vast majority of it is actually talking about how to organise your troops into, like, units of eight and ten, which is your contaburni, which is your tent mates. So when... So the Romans... Not the Romans. Bloody hell, I've got Romans on the brain now. So the Normans turn up... They kill everybody, mostly. They steal all their silk. Yep. And then I'm guessing it was like a great big Norman sausage fest. It took ten years for them to conquer Britain. So when did they get their ladies over? Because I'm guessing they didn't want to marry any Anglo-Saxon peasanty scumbags. The lower level knights did. Mm. That's kind of how they made themselves legitimate. You posted the meme, dear. Oh, yeah. the, the Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> meme's pretty accurate. Yeah. They invaded, if they weren't married, they took local women to be their wives and then spawned as many offspring as they could to give them legitimacy. Right. Which is a very Roman thing to do. <laughs> to say they're Normans... You should really like the Normans. I then. do really like the Normans. It's just they don't take the hits at Hastings. <laughs> not the Normans I hate. It's Norman reenactors who don't take their fucking hits I hate. And Norman cavalry who decide I'm freaking Alan bloody Larson. Up, up, up. I don't care. Everyone knows who knows me on here. I have He bent a five mil steel nose guard back with a mace, dear. Yeah. To my face and didn't even realise. So that's what you get for giving a man a mace on horseback and telling him to wave it around like a <laughs> bloody Normans <laughs> and it isn't the actual historical Normans I have an issue with it is just the reenactors because they just go we're going to win so we won't take our hits <sighs> yeah so yeah don't get me started on that one so you like Normans I like Normans not... historically because they are cool and they're basically Romans yeah and I have big old hard on for Rome as we all know <laughs> so 
I mean, they did like those. They yes, liked they did. Decorating the yes, building. Yes, let's just put penises everywhere. Yeah, that's it, Rome for it, you. It was definitely yeah. not a very um. No, like, but the, you want to know the best thing because the Normans are just as cheeky. Have you seen the one about the uh, church that got turned into a restaurant? Yes, and there's the dude. That, it's not just one. <laughs> There's 20. I love the guy. I love that this guy, like, in the medieval times, was like, oh, nobody's going to be able to see up here. I'm just going to cut Charve a, key, a cheeky man with his, with his cock and balls out. There's 20. <laughs> yeah. There is 20 of them in the church. And there's all these, like, yummy mummies having, like, a costume. Well, I'm sure they what? would be yummy mummies going, oh, look, a penis. <laughs> no, Wangs but... as far as the eye can see. <laughs> look at all the artwork as well. Yeah. We all sit there thinking people are prudes in the past because they're devoutly fundamental Christian no. and God knows what else. No. It's like the Victorians. People think they're really prudish and it's like... <laughs> well, they, they, they had this outer demeanour, I think, of being prudish. Then underneath, it was really definitely not that at well, all. It's, it's the premise I always go by. It's like a lady in society, a whore in the bedroom. It's like I just I just have this image given how prudish we are nowadays about like bodies. But we're not. No, I, I, in fairness, I'm tarring a lot of cultures with one brush. It's like the kind of Americans and British. It, the Americans are prudish. About the Americans it. are worse than us. I think. We're not particularly bothered. Oh, we have naked know. attraction. <laughs> oh my god i've never watched a full episode of that but oh god yeah we have naked attraction you show an american that and their head spins off i think i think this is the thing now vpns have become a thing there's lots of americans that are able to see british tv now that they and couldn't it horrifies before them. yeah they're just like what is this like they can't get over the graham norton show why because they're because uh, the guests are so relaxed, they're all having drinks yeah, and they're just chatting. They're just chatting shit and they yeah. talk about all sorts of inappropriate stuff. Yeah. Like when they show. That's also um, because most it's like the best one ever is Jason Momoa goes when he goes on and he's normally had half a dozen pints of Guinness yeah. before he's even sat down. And the last time I saw him on Graham Norton, he went through four pints in the show. Yeah. And he's slowly just getting more intoxicated as the show goes on. But because of his size, eight pints of Guinness in the man is barely scratching the doorpost. I love as well that they have like some like he- like some big American celebrity. Yeah. And then they'll have somebody from Corrie or like some random or British Bill celebrity. Bailey, which is always nice. And the Americans just like, I can't understand what you're saying. Or the best one ever <laughs> is the two Irish rowing guys. Yes! With Michael Fassbender. Who is and Irish? No one understood anything that those three said. And Graham joined in, and there's just four Irishmen. And there's like a random say, woman. I feel like this is who like was an American. American woman. She was. Yeah. And the thing is, those four were chatting the Blarney, and she just sat there and went, I didn't get a single word of that. But back to Normans. Yes. Uh, as, as much as we got distracted there. Yes. Uh, where we did. were we? Uh, um, Normans. We were talking about. Things. We were talking about things of <laughs> the Normans. My brain's um, not working. Uh, no, you're doing one thing and I'm my brain's doing the another. Airport. Yeah. Um, <laughs> infantry, we should talk about that as well. Okay. So squires we did touch on. Well so to speak. Well, Phrasing. Phrasing. I, I they were Roman inspired. Not so Greek though. No, not Greek. But yeah, then foot infantry to some degree you have sergeants um so did they just bring people over because i can't imagine that all the anglo-saxons were like yeah i want to fight for the normans now sign me up to your army i don't know i suppose they've got to eat but and be paid yeah it's good money. i suppose all the nobles are dead <laughs> anglo-saxon nobles are all dead yeah pretty much why well, all the nice all their nice clothes are in the guy. vatican yeah. well when you I'm just at... outraged on behalf of those women with the fillets. I'm just so angry. <laughs> well, let's see. Keep your life. Don't be raped. Give us your fillet. Oh, they would. Like they would have not done that. They would have taken the fillet and done that anyway. Yeah, but they would have killed them. Mm, I don't know. You don't. They didn't commit genocide except in Yorkshire and Northumberland. <laughs> just like the Tories. Just like the Tories. <laughs> just like Thatcher, dear. <laughs> Genocide in the north. It's a Tory way. Also, castle building. We'll talk about that as well quickly. But yeah, Norman foot infantry come over. They're sergeants, uh, which means servant. Mm. All it means. But to differentiate... Is that why it's spelt really weird? S-E-R-G-E-A-N-T. Yeah. Because it comes from the French word sergeant, which is spelt with a J. Of course. 
which is S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T. It's like lieutenant and lieutenant. Yeah, one's British, one's American. Yeah. And I can never remember which way is round. I think ours, so is, I lef- ours is lieutenant. I always refer to them as LTs. The Americans... Or more accurately, arseholes. The Americans will always say it how it's spelled, so I think ours is lieutenant. Cool. That's sensible. Which makes me think it's Greek, because EU together is F in some cases, in Greek... It's Ev or F. It's also Fs in Anglo-Saxon occasionally, dear, if I don't remember correctly. She will. She'll check her Greek. I will. Uh, But yeah, you have sergeants, and they come in all shapes and sizes. Um, But what the Normans do is they realise that they can raise infantry really well in this country by keeping the land obligations, to some degree, of the Anglo-Saxons in place, but altering it slightly to fit their systems, which is what they do. So it was coming. So it was from original. So it was from French. Yeah. Of place, which is Lou, like yeah. in place of. Yeah. So holding a position. Yeah. Is, is lieutenant. Yeah. Literally. A placeholder. Yeah. But like as to whether where it came from that we said left instead. Probably because we don't like the French. Because <laughs> it says like the the rare old French variant for spelling. Luff, because if it, if it's in loo, yeah. you say loo, don't you? Even in, in even lieu in of Fran- something, yeah. yes. So for some reason, we've decided to go with lieutenant. Yeah, but that and then could... America and everywhere else is lieutenant. Well, to hell with them. <laughs> I think you'll find we have the largest empire in history. We make the rules. Well, that's certainly the gammon point of view. So. Well, it's it yes, which I don't particularly always enjoy being. For some reason, on side with that view, but sometimes it's just like, do you know what? Sod it. <laughs> it's just embrace it. Yeah. Don't worry. We all just have to have the blitz spirit about Christmas, where we're not going to have any turkeys because there's don't no like delivery. Anyway. We're not going to have any pigs in blankets. Oh no, we will most definitely be having pigs. In blankets. <laughs> His face got so serious that he's like, we will most definitely having pigs in blankets. Even if I have to go out and butcher my own damn pig, <laughs> wrap it in a blanket and wrap it in in, in itself. <laughs> Because that's... What? Well, that's what a pig in blanket is. I just imagined it inside out. It's like... Oh, Yeah, I know, my my brain's all over the place. (laughs) You are in a fine form, my dear. I'm I'm in a certain... I don't... I'm in a form. But I don't know what form it is. Well, form of a dormouse. (laughs) I don't don't think it's um, spooky goth wife. I think it's like eldritch horror, like unknowable... (laughs) I can conceive of a wasp. Euclidean geometry wife. I don't know. If you, but that's about right for your mathematical brain to work out. You probably do work better in Euclidean geom- in non-Euclidean geometry. The shade. What? You're just calculating. I do. At which point, non-Euclidean geometry probably makes more sense to you. No, it's like if it was if it's like the episode of Doctor Who, where the science is all done through words. Where they did a Shakespeare episode. Yes. I would be the fucking Stephen Hawking of the world, but numbers. You've not got a chance. Let's really make it confusing. Let's make letters mean numbers. See, I should be good at algebra, but I'm not. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Anyway. Anyway. It's easy enough. But, um, yeah, foot sergeants follow on from knights um, and feudalism, which is Norman military, really. And that's, to be honest, about it from the fighting side. Uh, castle building. Next. 500 castles in the first year alone. I mean, that's that's pretty good building. We should put They're them in. They're stone, though. No, but They're still. They're earth and wood. Yeah, but And the still. Normans themselves probably didn't build them. The local peasantry probably did or get killed. <laughs> yeah. The Norman response to a lot of things is do it or die. I mean, it's an approach. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, Until direct. it didn't. Well, it didn't because it's when the king starts trying to do it to his own nobles uh, and it backfires. Right. No, you can't treat us like that. That's how we treat poor Hopefully. English people. How dare you? Yeah, that's the whole Point, but uh, the Normans fifteen hundred castles in three years. Now that's still good. They're not great big stone edifices at all. They're not the later twelfth, thirteenth century Henry the Second, Richard, John, Henry the Third, Edward the First monstrosities. Yeah, they're more like Roman marching camps. They are points to control the land to give you supply depots, to give you bases of operations, because knights need bases of operations. They cannot live off the land. No. War horses are expensive to maintain. Yeah. And they do require fodder. Yes. And they do require bases to be kept in. Yes. So if you build 1,500 castles from the Scottish borders to the south coast to the Welsh borders... Dudley was um, 
was Mott and Bailey. They were all Mott and Bailey to start No, no, with. but I'm just saying, like, it wasn't a later one. It's Well, Nottingham wasn't one. Mott and Bailey. They didn't build Nottingham as a Mott and Bailey because they didn't have to. They just went straight into stone. No, it was already a Mott and Bailey because of the landscape. Oh. They didn't build an... You look... Because of how Nottingham Castle is with the sandstone and where it was built, yeah. The first wooden castle, the Bailey part, the, the Mott part, sorry, the mound, isn't actually a large earth mound. No. It was the natural formation. Just on top of the rock bit. And the Bailey is the lower shelf rock yeah. bit. Well, they... I suppose like the ground's come up as well, so I guess it was probably higher up than it kind of is now. The ground isn't as high as you think it is. Okay. Because the stone walls you see yep. are the original outer bailey wall. Mm. You know where the gatehouse is? Yeah. That is the original outermost curtain wall of the whole fortress. Yeah. So that gatehouse, where it was, and it's never had a moat either. The gap underneath the bridge yeah. was that huge, was the huge ditch-like device. Yeah. They didn't put a moat in. They didn't mm. need it. It's all done... Because I guess you've got all those ca- like caves and stuff underneath it, so I guess you don't really want a load of water. Not for, unless that. you want flooding. And no. Given that sandstone is porous yeah. as hell, and go- oh, my castle fell down. Saved the local population burning it though, because well, that is a Nottingham pastime. Yes. Let's burn Nottingham Castle. Yeah. But yeah, castle building first three years from sixty six. Well, I say sixty six. It's sixty seven, sixty eight, sixty nine, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Um, <laughs> But yeah, 67, 68, 69, and then into the 70s. So like the first three to four years, they put up something like 1,500 Mott and Bailey defences. Yeah. And then over the next two, three hundred years, well, over the next hundred years, give or take, they're all fortified into stone, or not all, once they worked out where the key locational fortresses needed to be to give you maximum command and control of a territory... Those are the ones that they built into stone. Yeah. And the smaller the ones, ones... The ones that they liked. Well, it's the ones that gave them the maximum control with maximum defensibility over whole areas, hence Nottingham Castle being a thing. There was a Motton Bailey Castle in Derby. Yeah. Like, around Derbyshire as well. Never... It was destroyed because it wasn't worth anything. Because Nottingham Castle, for example, was such a beautiful piece of fortificational work that you literally didn't need any other castle in the region. Mm. Because if you even just look at modern Nottingham Castle and the fortified walls it's got, and you think when you're down at the trip to Jerusalem and you look up at the sheer cliff face that overlooks, and when particularly if you go to the castle, and if you think the wall you're on, where you are, when you're actually up at the current modern castle... You're even higher than that on an actual fortified wall overlooking the cliff. Well, it's like I went to um, I went to the Castle uh, Boulevard Retail Park place. Yeah, which and is all the marsh castle, originally. Like almost looks like it's next door, if you know what I mean. You know, because of how it kind of sits on the landscape. Yeah, it looks like it's literally like over the road. But it's not. No. It's about a mile down the road and, and four hundred meters up, give or take. But yeah, it's. The thing, they build, as I said, 1,500 Martin Bailey wooden fortified positions. I won't... They are technically all called castles, but they're not what people would think of as a castle. Mm. Again, you can see the Roman influence on the Normans to some degree with this idea of fortified marching camps to act as bases of operations. Also, protects them for having supply lines. Very Roman approach to warfare. We are invading a country, we need to protect where our food comes from and the surrounding areas, but we also need to dominate the landscape and control the landscape. Yeah, I guess that's... like the Romans, Romans build marching camps, set up legionary bases, and then start building urban settlements. The Normans are invading somewhere which is already, to some degree, a well-developed, I won't say medieval urbanisation, but it's got early urbanisation happening with London, Nottingham, and uh, Winchester, and everywhere else. Mm. You've got urban centres, which is the reason also for them invading, because of the taxation system. Yeah. Because we're going to touch quickly on my favourite thing that you always quote, which is Burgle Heidage. <laughs> but Burgle Heidage is why they invade. If we get a dog, I want to call it Burgle Heidage. That's fine. 
But no, what Burgle Hydro does, it sets up all the cities yeah. as centres of commerce and trade and for centralised taxation gathering. Yeah. So the Normans invade because you've got these hubs of administrational cities that were. And Normandy is a nightmare to try and control because there isn't this organisation. Yeah. But in England, there is a continual revenue in. There is actually an organised administration. And everybody's system. already used to paying it. So everyone does it. It's like coming in and taking over like a subscriber service or something and everybody's already used to paying it. So yeah. you're like, ha ha ha. And what the Normans do is they move in, build a load of castles to control the population because you don't need to control a figment of imagination, which is taxation, so to speak. And yeah. In terms of a non... Taxation isn't a real, it's an idea. If you yeah. Get, in the sense of it's not... You don't control it with people. You control it through admin work. Yes. But this is the thing. The Normans move in, take over the admin jobs. Yes. Which also makes them the ruling elite and the fighting elite and everything else. And they build all the castles to control the population to do what they say. Yeah. Now, in the Doomsday, okay, so compiled in 1086, yeah. one-tenth of the population is referred to as servi in the Latin. Yeah. Which basically means slave. Yeah. Okay? But it's actually from where the word serf comes from. Ah. And if you think four-fifths of the population are classed as free men. Yeah. And only one fifth of the population are classed as slaves. Because if you have, if you're a serf, you have like a little bit of land, don't you, for you to grow some like crap vegetables on, and In that's effect, about makes it. Makes you a tenant. Well, that's your living plot, and yeah. then you are farming directly yeah. the main estates and everything else. Yeah. There are laws concerning, and this is where the Normans coming in take over the Anglo-Saxon side of things. They keep to kind of the Anglo-Saxon plough system. Yeah. The pharos of the strip system. Yeah. They reduce it slightly with some hedgerows so it makes it more manageable and they break up the landscape more, put in more borders. Which is why I've got those stupid buckage hedge things in the countryside. Yes. Boo. I like buckage. I hate it. I like to be able to see where I'm going when I drive. This is why Normandy <laughs> is full of bacage. But no, border territories to each estate and you start getting a lot of fortified manor houses popping up. Yeah. Uh, like Gedelon. But yeah, Chateau, Chateau Gedelon down in Bordeaux where yeah. um, Ruth Goodman and co went for yeah, Secrets yeah, of Castle. Yeah. That style of castle is what would have been more common than the big like Nottingham, Carnarvon, Dover and stuff. They're mm. royal castles. Your local nobility building a castle is going to be something closer to like Gedelon. Now, if you want to find a model kit that does you that in 28 mil, you want to look at the Sarissa Norman Manor fortified position. Right. That's the closest thing you'll get to that kind Not of Not that we're thing. sponsored. No, I just always name drop every company I tend to use though because <laughs> I enjoy it. But that's I'm me. just saying, we're not sponsored to say this. It's like Kieran just genuinely likes I it. I do. I, it's a lovely bit of kit. Um, and I've cut so many of them before when I worked there. So Gedlong Castle is really the closest thing to what most castles would have looked like. Yeah. Also, I've been hankering to watch Secrets of the Castle again while I paint all my Baron's War oh, stuff. Do it. I might put it on this evening because it's entertaining TV. Yeah. But yeah, castle-wise, stone doesn't really start till the 12th century. Yeah. So they come in and they go, Earth Mound, Palisade. I need to actually take you to Dudley and take you to the Black Country Museum and like... Well, I also need to find out what the fuck orange fried chips are still. (laughs) I I restrained myself, by the way. Now, folks, we're going to diverge on the discussion about chips. Oh, God. Because something my wife posted about the best chips coming from the West Midlands. Because (laughs) the best chips don't come from the coast. Well, it's pleasant to have chips at the coast. You chips from landlocked misery. Yeah, well, that's not just exclusive to the West fucking Midlands. No, but we do have the crispy orange chips. Oh, they used to be the... Until you take me to have orange crispy chips, I call bullshit on the West Midlands having the best chips. Would you like us to do an orange crispy chip review special? In Scotland, Yorkshire, Tyneside, Cumbria, (laughs) Lancashire, the East Midlands, the West Midlands, but not orange ones. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I I am out of the loop now as to where the best orange chips... Well, hopefully... Orange chips shop. 
orange chip shops are. You'll so have to ask Rachel. Yes. Yeah, so if anybody knows or has any recommendations, please let us know because one day I will I will stomach it and I will go back to Dudley. <laughs> one but, day. But the thing is, I've had chips from every centre where Thatcher destroyed. <laughs> They are all as good as each other. <laughs> so the West Midlands doesn't get the monopoly on misery. I know Dudley's a shithole. But, but He's only saying that because I say it all the time. I hate him yeah, to yeah. add. But the thing is... Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, it's like... I always say if I did something famous, like good famous, and they wanted to attribute me to, to li- being from Dudley, I would be like, no. I'd rather be attributed no. to, like, London. No, I'd, I think no. London's a cesspit. I'd rather be attributed to Nottingham, very <laughs> much. We already have enough. I'm still counting down the years until I've lived here longer than I've lived in Dudley, but it's going to be a while. It's not that far, darling. It is. I was in Dudley for 21 years. We're 34, darling. Yeah, I know. It's coming, but it's not coming fast enough. I'm living a lie at the moment, so pretending only, I'm from Nottingham. Sweetie, it's only eight more years and it's equal. It's nine more years no. and then you've lived one year more in Nottingham than you have in Dudley. Good. So it's only a decade away. Good. Give or take. Good. It's only another ten years, dear. Phoebe will be uh, 17. Don't do that. Oh my God. <laughs> I will be going back to Dudley. I'll be going under an assumed identity. <laughs> only if you're taking me with you. <laughs> They like the American dad bit where he's like crying in the corner and she uh, staples at her. That'll be my daughter. But yeah, no, we'll stop there, folks. Um, but, because, but I will do a hardcore, proper Patreon-only Norman talk. Yes, you're just psyching yourself up. There. I am, because it's a lot of reading on a subject that I can do post-conquest comfortably. Mm. And I have just done two episodes on the post-conquest yes, period. Yes, more or less, yeah. One for Patreons only and one for the normal yeah. lovely members of the public. But my public... Public. My public. My oi poloi. <laughs> <laughs> but pre-conquest Norman knowledge is rather lacklustre. Because, and even the actual information of the pre-conquest Normans to some degree is a bit lacklustre mm. because they don't really make it famous until the 11th century. Well, Bearing in mind, Normandy doesn't even exist until the 10th century as a dukedom, so also, what the hell? Also, Jill Laugh, the, oh, fo- the yeah. foolish lady that she is, yeah. sent us the Big DVD for Wolf. I have worked out the technology. I can't record it because obviously I don't want to get... Copyright laws. Yeah, because of copyright laws. So if you want to watch a terrible terrible film and listen to me and kieran take the mick out of it though when i was trying to check that it was still there i suddenly started having flashbacks of how bad it is and i don't know if it's that mst3k thing where they say some films are just so bad you can't make it funny <laughs> but we'll see. see we'll see um so basically the premise of it is is that i've uploaded it somewhere and then you go to a website and the film will be playing in one box it's kind of like kind of like zoom um, and then you've got like a chat window where everybody can talk, and then me and Kieran will be audibly audible, 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 uh, over the top. Yes. Uh, but we'll mute everybody else and not have cameras and stuff because we've all had enough of that. Yeah. I don't. I don't need to. You don't need to be seeing my face. I don't want to see my face, so you shouldn't have to. Um, so we'll work out when we can do it, when people, because we don't want to do it when nobody's going to be on. <laughs> Because we can't record it. Yeah. So we want at least a couple of people, preferably our Patreons, because unashamedly we live in a capitalist society and they pay us. Um, but yeah. We'll, Again, we'll big tra- shout out to Katie yes. for being mad to yes. sign up. Yes. You are sponsoring us, you fool. But yeah, we will work out some dates um, to do it. It'll probably be in the evening. Yes. And it can't be on a for, on a Friday, Saturday. Or, or Sunday. Or sun- well, thir- no, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, it can't be on a Thursday, Friday or Saturday because he is at work. That is when the angry working history nice. chef has to do his job. Yes, he has to succumb money. to capitalism. I have to, yes. to make money other ways. Yes. And not sell my body. <laughs> I was going to say, you're making it sound like you're doing a night shift in a very different job, but you know. Well, we do drive bubbles a lot, dear. And I'm always like, <laughs> I've always wanted to go in there. <laughs> Maybe for a few more Patreon subscribers, I'll put a GoPro on you. <laughs> send you in. <laughs> I love it. I just wear a GoPro. People see me at Sainsbury's working. 
What, just a GoPro yeah, on? Yeah, just my GoPro on. They could come, they and could nothing come, else? They could to, well, yeah, I don't mind. I'd lose my safety job pretty quickly. But no, I meant more, I, I, if people are ever bored, I, I'd be tempted to put a GoPro on while I was at Sainsbury's. What, and just talk about history? While, <laughs> while I was bimbling around, stacking shelves and tipping that wagons. That sounds like there'd be some sort of weird, like, mukbang internet thing for, like, a small English man stocking shelves while talking about history. Like, like that would be a niche part of the internet that people would like. Maybe if we got it some more Patreon, it would probably work. You know It'd what? Be Tell weird. us. Did you like that? Would anyone like to see me stacking shells while talking about history? Please communicate with us so we I feel. Mean, I mean, Gary, I love you. You gave me stuff to talk about, or you've asked for me. Yeah, to talk you put about a stuff. request in. I put a request in. I put a question out, and I yeah. got the request in. Yeah. And this is what we need, folks. I am accessible through the land of Facebook, provided yes. Mark Zuckerberg doesn't crash it again. Yeah. However, if not... Well, you've got a Twitter as well I... that I look after. Yes. Do I? Yeah, I run it. Gotten Himmel. <laughs> I have an Instagram as well. At Angry Hist Chef. Ah. Uh, I do have my Patreon, so people can always directly message me on Patreon. Well, I think you have to pay money. No, but... you don't. You can directly oh, just okay. message me well, on Patreon. Well, there we go. Um, if people want to things, uh, the next chat... After this short one on Normans, um, for the non, shall we say, Patreon members, will actually be on Vietnam. Ooh, that's a bit of a jump from Normans to Vietnam. You say that, but oh, it's gosh. me. Um, but no, I, I thought I'd actually talk about Vietnam mm. for the first time. Okay. Because... Well, I know absolutely nothing about Vietnam. And this is my point. <laughs> and it's actually one of those shows where you actually could have questions you want to know yes. that you don't already have a passing knowledge Yeah, with. that's fair. A that's passing familiar... A, a passing familiar... Good Lord. I know, we're both... We're awful tonight, folks. So, I'm so sorry. So, um, yeah, we will put up some times for, for Wolf. Wolf. Um, the terrible, terrible film. Let us know. Werewolves versus Romans. Yeah. It should be good. <laughs> it's really so not. Bad, so bad. Um, if your eyes stop bleeding, don't sue us. It's not our fault. We warned you. Um, and also, if you know any good places that sell orange chips in the West Midlands, let us know. And I'll try and go there at some point. Yeah. With a false moustache on, pretending that I'm not me. Indeed. Yes. That would be wise. Yeah. Well, thank you all. Uh, like and subscribe, or yes. whatever it is that yeah. you do. Tell in this people, don't world. tell people. Um, of course, you can find us on Spotify. Yes. And everything else. Yes. And Patreon. And when Facebook I and Twitter. When I finally Twitter. these back up to Patreon, because yes. Patreon's being a bit weird. Mm. It's, it keeps declining. If it's a direct me loading it up, yeah. it's fine for the thing. But because I do these through Spotify and Anchor yeah. FM, I have to put it in through a link, and the links keep failing Boo. on Patreon, which is yeah. a bit annoying, which is why I've not posted about two or three of our previous ones of this. Yeah. But thanks for listening as always, folks. Uh, tatty bye. Kalinicta. Indeed.